section thirty two of english literature by william j long this librivox recording is in the public domain chapter nine continued samuel johnson seventeen o nine seventeen eighty four the reader of boswell's johnson after listening to endless grumblings and watching the clumsy actions of the hero often finds himself wondering why he should end his reading with a profound respect for this old bear who is the object of boswell's grovelling attention here is a man who was certainly not the greatest writer of his age perhaps not even a great writer at all but who was nevertheless the dictator of english letters and who still looms across the centuries of a magnificent literature as its most striking and original figure here moreover is a huge fat awkward man of vulgar manners and appearance who monopolizes conversation argues violently abuses everybody clubs down opposition madam speaking to his cultivated hostess at table talk no more nonsense sir turning to a distinguished guest i perceive you are a vile whig while talking he makes curious animal sounds sometimes giving a half whistle sometimes clucking like a hen and when he has concluded a violent dispute and laid his opponents low by dogmatism or ridicule he leans back to blow out his breath like a whale and gulp down numberless cups of hot tea yet this curious dictator of an elegant age was a veritable lion much sought after by society and around him in his own poor house gathered the foremost artists scholars actors and literary men of london all honoring the man loving him and listening to his dogmatism as the greeks listened to the voice of their oracle what is the secret of this astounding spectacle if the reader turns naturally to johnson's works for an explanation he will be disappointed reading his verses we find nothing to delight or inspire us but rather gloom and pessimism with a few moral observations in rhymed couplets but scarce observe the knowing and the bold fall in the general massacre of gold white wasting pest that rages unconfined and crowds with crimes the records of mankind for gold his sword the hireling ruffian draws for gold the hireling judge distorts the laws wealth heaped on wealth nor truth nor safety buys the dangers gather as the treasures rise that is excellent common sense but it is not poetry and it is not necessary to hunt through johnson's bulky volumes for the information since any moralist can give us off-hand the same doctrine as for his rambler essays once so successful though we marvel at the big words the carefully balanced sentences the classical allusions one might as well try to get interested in an old-fashioned three-hour sermon we read a few pages listlessly yawn and go to bed since the man's work fails to account for his leadership and influence we examine his personality and here everything is interesting because of a few oft-quoted passages from boswell's biography 
johnson appears to us as an eccentric bear who amuses us by his growlings and clumsy antics but there is another johnson a brave patient kindly religious soul who as goldsmith said had nothing of the bear but his skin a man who battled like a hero against poverty and pain and melancholy and the awful fear of death and who overcame them manfully that trouble passed away so will this sang the sorrowing deor in the first old anglo-saxon lyric and that expresses the great and suffering spirit of johnson who in the face of enormous obstacles never lost faith in god or in himself though he was a reactionary in politics upholding the arbitrary power of kings and opposing the growing liberty of the people yet his political theories like his manners were no deeper than his skin for in all london there was none more kind to the wretched and none more ready to extend an open hand to every struggling man and woman who crossed his path when he passed poor homeless arabs sleeping in the streets he would slip a coin into their hands in order that they might have a happy awakening for he himself well knew what it meant to be hungry such was johnson a mass of genuine manhood as carlyle called him and as such men loved and honored him Note, a very lovable side of johnson's nature is shown by his doing penance in the public market-place for his unfilial conduct as a boy see in hawthorne's our old home the article on lickfield and johnson his sterling manhood is recalled in his famous letter to lord chesterfield refusing the latter's patronage for the dictionary the student should read this incident entire in boswell's life of johnson End of note life of johnson johnson was born in lickfield stratfordshire in seventeen o nine he was the son of a small bookseller a poor man but intelligent and fond of literature as booksellers invariably were in the good days when every town had its bookshop from his childhood johnson had to struggle against physical deformity and disease and the consequent disinclination to hard work he prepared for the university partly in the schools but largely by omnivorous reading in his father's shop and when he entered oxford he had read more classical authors than had most of the graduates before finishing his course he had to leave the university on account of his poverty and at once he began his long struggle as a hack writer to earn his living at twenty-five years he married a woman old enough to be his mother a genuine love-match he called it and with her dowry of eight hundred pounds they started a private school together which was a dismal failure then without money or influential friends he left his home and wife in lickfield and tramped to london accompanied only by david garrick afterwards the famous actor who had been one of his pupils here led by old associations johnson made himself known to the booksellers and now and then earned a penny by writing prefaces reviews and translations it was a dog's life indeed that he led there with his literary brethren 
many of the writers of the day who are ridiculed in pope's heartless dunciad having no wealthy patrons to support them lived largely in the streets and taverns sleeping on an ash heap or under a wharf like rats glad of a crust and happy over a single meal which enabled them to work for a while without the reminder of hunger a few favored ones lived in wretched lodgings in grub street which has since become a synonym for the fortunes of struggling writers note in johnson's dictionary we find this definition grub street the name of a street in london much inhabited by writers of small histories dictionaries and temporary poems whence any mean production is called grub street End of note often johnson tells us he walked the streets all night long in dreary weather when it was too cold to sleep without food or shelter but he wrote steadily for the booksellers and for the gentleman's magazine and presently he became known in london and received enough work to earn a bare living the works which occasioned this small success were his poem london and his life of the poet savage a wretched life at best which were perhaps better left without a biographer but his success was genuine though small and presently the booksellers of london are coming to him to ask him to write a dictionary of the english language it was an enormous work taking nearly eight years of his time and long before he had finished it he had eaten up the money which he received for his labor in the leisure intervals of this work he wrote the vanity of human wishes and other poems and finished his classic tragedy of irene led by the great success of the spectator johnson started two magazines the rambler seventeen fifty seventeen fifty two and the idler seventeen fifty eight seventeen sixty later the rambler essays were published in book form and ran rapidly through ten editions but the financial returns were small and johnson spent a large part of his earnings in charity when his mother died in seventeen fifty nine johnson although one of the best-known men in london had no money and hurriedly finished Rasselas, his only romance in order it is said to pay for his mother's burial it was not till seventeen sixty two when johnson was fifty-three years old that his literary labors were rewarded in the usual way by royalty and he received from george the third a yearly pension of three hundred pounds then began a little sunshine in his life with joshua reynolds the artist he founded the famous literary club of which burke pitt fox gibbon goldsmith and indeed all the great literary men and politicians of the time were members this is the period of johnson's famous conversations which were caught in minutest detail by boswell and given to the world his idea of conversation as shown in a hundred places in boswell is to overcome your adversary at any cost to knock him down by arguments or when these fail by personal ridicule to dogmatize on every possible question pronounce a few oracles and then desist with an air of victory concerning the philosopher hume's view of death he says sir if he really thinks so his perceptions are disturbed he is mad 
if he does not think so he lies exit opposition there is nothing more to be said curiously enough it is often the palpable blunders of these monologues that now attract us as if we were enjoying a good joke at the dictator's expense once a lady asked him dr johnson why did you define pastern as the knee of a horse ignorance madam pure ignorance thundered the great authority when seventy years of age johnson was visited by several booksellers of the city who were about to bring out a new edition of the english poets and who wanted johnson as the leading literary man of london to write the prefaces to the several volumes the result was his lives of the poets as it is now known and this is his last literary work he died in his poor fleet street house in seventeen eighty four and was buried among england's honored poets in westminster abbey the english dictionary johnson's works a book says dr johnson should help us either to enjoy life or to endure it judged by this standard one is puzzled what to recommend among johnson's numerous books the two things which belong among the things worthy to be remembered are his dictionary and his lives of the poets though both these are valuable not as literature but rather as a study of literature the dictionary as the first ambitious attempt at an english lexicon is extremely valuable notwithstanding the fact that his derivations are often faulty and that he frequently exercises his humor or prejudice in his curious definitions in defining oats for example as a grain given in england to horses and in scotland to the people he indulges his prejudice against the scotch whom he never understood just as in his definition of pension he takes occasion to rap the writers who had flattered their patrons since the days of elizabeth though he afterwards accepted a comfortable pension for himself with characteristic honesty he refused to alter his definition in subsequent editions of the dictionary lives of the poets the lives of the poets are the simplest and most readable of his literary works for ten years before beginning these biographies he had given himself up to conversation and the ponderous style of his rambler essays here gives way to lighter and more natural expression as criticisms they are often misleading giving praise to artificial poets like cowley and pope and doing scant justice or abundant injustice to nobler poets like gray and milton and they are not to be compared with those found in thomas wharton's history of english poetry which was published in the same generation as biographies however they are excellent reading and we owe to them some of our best-known pictures of the early english poets poems and essays of johnson's poems the reader will have enough if he glances over the vanity of human wishes his only story rasselas prince of abyssinia is a matter of rhetoric rather than of romance but is interesting still to the reader who wants to hear johnson's personal views on society philosophy and religion any one of his essays like that on reading or the pernicious effects of reverie will be enough to acquaint the reader with the johnsonese style which was once much admired and copied by orators 
but which happily has been replaced by a more natural way of speaking most of his works it must be confessed are rather tiresome it is not to his books but rather to the picture of the man himself as given by boswell that johnson owes his great place in our literature boswell's life of johnson in james boswell seventeen forty seventeen ninety five we have another extraordinary figure a shallow little scotch barrister who trots about like a dog at the heels of his big master frantic at a caress and grovelling at a cuff and abundantly contented if only he can be near him and record his oracles all his life long boswell's one ambition seems to have been to shine in the reflected glory of great men and his chief task to record their sayings and doings when he came to london at twenty-two years of age johnson then at the beginning of his great fame was to this insatiable little glory-seeker like a silver doctor to a hungry trout he sought an introduction as a man seeks gold haunted every place where johnson declaimed until in davies bookstore the supreme opportunity came this is his record of the great event i was much agitated says boswell and recollecting his prejudice against the scotch of which i had heard much i said to davies don't tell him where i come from from scotland cries davies roguishly mr johnson said i i do indeed come from scotland and i cannot help it that sir cried johnson i find is what a very great many of your countrymen cannot help this stroke stunned me a good deal and when we had sat down i felt myself not a little embarrassed and apprehensive of what might come next then for several years with a persistency that no rebuffs could abate and with a thick skin that no amount of ridicule could render sensitive he follows johnson forces his way into the literary club where he is not welcome in order to be near his idol carries him off on a visit to the hebrides talks with him on every possible occasion and when he is not invited to a feast waits outside the house or tavern in order to walk home with his master in the thick fog of the early morning and the moment the oracle is out of sight and in bed boswell patters home to record in detail all that he has seen and heard it is to his minute record that we owe our only perfect picture of a great man all his vanity as well as his greatness his prejudices superstitions and even the details of his personal appearance there is the gigantic body the huge face seamed with the scars of disease the brown coat the black worsted stockings the gray wig with the scorched foretop the dirty hands the nails bitten and pared to the quick we see the eyes and mouth moving with convulsive twitches we see the heavy form rolling we hear it puffing and then comes up the why sir and the what then sir and the no sir and the you don't see your way through the question sir note from macaulay's review of boswell's life of johnson End of note.
to boswell's record we are indebted also for our knowledge of those famous conversations those wordy knock-down battles which made johnson famous in his time and which still move us to wonder here is a specimen conversation taken almost at random from a hundred such in boswell's incomparable biography after listening to johnson's prejudice against scotland and his dogmatic utterances on voltaire robertson and twenty others an unfortunate theorist brings up a recent essay on the possible future life of brutes quoting some possible authority from the sacred scriptures johnson who did not like to hear anything concerning a future state which was not authorized by the regular canons of orthodoxy discouraged this talk and being offended at its continuation he watched an opportunity to give the gentleman a blow of reprehension so when the poor speculatist with a serious metaphysical pensive face addressed him but really sir when we see a very sensible dog we don't know what to think of him johnson rolling with joy at the thought which beamed in his eye turned quickly round and replied true sir and when we see a very foolish fellow we don't know what to think of him he then rose up strided to the fire and stood for some time laughing and exulting then the oracle proceeds to talk of scorpions and natural history denying facts and demanding proofs which nobody could possibly furnish he seemed pleased to talk of natural philosophy that woodcocks said he fly over the northern countries is proved because they have been observed at sea swallows certainly sleep all the winter a number of them conglobulate together by flying round and round and then all in a heap throw themselves under water and lie in the bed of a river he told us one of his first essays was a latin poem upon the glow-worm i am sorry i did not ask where it was to be found then follows an astonishing array of subjects and opinions he catalogues libraries settles affairs in china pronounces judgment on men who marry women superior to themselves flouts popular liberty hammers swift unmercifully and adds a few miscellaneous oracles most of which are about as reliable as his knowledge of the hibernation of swallows when i called upon dr johnson next morning i found him highly satisfied with his colloquial prowess the preceding evening well said he we had a good talk yes sir says i you tossed and gored several persons far from resenting this curious mental dictatorship his auditors never seem to weary they hang upon his words praise him flatter him repeat his judgments all over london the next day and return in the evening hungry for more whenever the conversation begins to flag boswell is like a woman with a parrot or like a man with a dancing bear he must excite the creature make him talk or dance for the edification of the company he sidles obsequiously towards his hero and with utter irrelevancy propounds a question of theology a social theory a fashion of dress or marriage a philosophical conundrum do you think sir that natural affections are born with us or sir if you were shut up in a castle and a newborn babe with you what would you do then follow more johnsonian laws judgments oracles the insatiable audience clusters around him and applauds while boswell listens with shining face 
and presently goes home to write the wonder down it is an astonishing spectacle one does not know whether to laugh or grieve over it but we know the man and the audience almost as well as if we had been there and that unconsciously is the superb art of this matchless biographer when johnson died the opportunity came for which boswell had been watching and waiting some twenty years he would shine in the world now not by reflection but by his own luminosity he gathered together his endless notes and records and began to write his biography but he did not hurry several biographies of johnson appeared in the four years after his death without disturbing boswell's perfect complacency after seven years labor he gave the world his life of johnson it is an immortal work praise is superfluous it must be read to be appreciated like the greek sculptors the little slave produced a more enduring work than the great master the man who reads it will know johnson as he knows no other man who dwells across the border and he will lack sensitiveness indeed if he lay down the work without a greater love and appreciation of all good literature end of section thirty two